0: All right. Well, church. Once again, my name is Daniel, I'm the pastor here. Want to welcome you. And uh, we're starting a new series today on Habakkuk, and um, you may say Gazuenteich. <clears throat> and uh, we've we've navigated some of the minor prophets. Uh, they're called minor prophets not because their message is minor; they've got a major message. Amen. Uh, they're called minor prophets simply because their books are a little bit smaller uh, in size, if you will. Um, but they still have an important message. Uh, for us today. And so um, as uh, Josh led us, hopefully you've got a Bible and you can follow along with us. I want to encourage you to do so. And as we look at this, um, uh, we, we finished up last week Nahum, uh, and before that we were in the book of, of Micah. And uh, so we're going to see what Habakkuk has for us today. And so as you've got your Bible there and, and are ready to dig in, the, 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 the sort of subtitle is Faith in a Fallen Nation. How does one have faith in a nation that is, is fallen, uh, that where things are going wrong? And what we're going to find is Habakkuk has some questions for God. And I don't know if you've ever had some questions for God. I know I have. And um, and I think if we're honest, we've all had some questions for God at one time or another. Amen? You've been through some things that have hurt you. You've been in some situations that you can't figure out. And, uh, and you have a, uh, what I like to say, a God-sized problem, right? You ever have one of those God-sized problems like no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you push, no matter how much energy you exert, no matter how much you pray, the thing is just not going away. It is a God-sized problem. This is the day that you hadn't planned for that now all of a sudden comes. This is the news you're receiving, and you're like, "I, I, I don't even know how to process this news. This is the day when your doctor says, It's cancer, and there are no other options. This is the day when your boss says, you're fired. This is the day when your girlfriend or the person you're dating says, it's over. This is the day when the divorce attorney, right, says it's final, and you sign that final legal paper. This is the day when you bury your loved one that you could not ever have imagined this happening. This is the day when your your problem is so much larger than you. Your situation is so much greater than you have the strength to bear. And you are saying, God, what is going on? God, why are you allowing this to happen? And I don't know if you caught some of the questions there that Habakkuk raises. And again, it's a short book. It's just three chapters. You can read it in, in about 10 to 15 minutes. right? And so I'd encourage you to read it. This week. And I know you may have to dust off the middle part of your Bible there, right, to find it, okay? But, um, but do that and take some time to do that. And so let's pray together and ask God's blessing upon His word. And, um, and then we'll jump into the text. Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the honest questions that Habakkuk wrestles with. I thank you that, that we don't have a God who, who just says deal with it. We have a God who loves us and is kind and merciful and welcomes our questions. A God who welcomes us when we hurt and and has given us a book in the Bible and many other passages in the Bible of people who have said, God, why? God, where are you? I thank you for the authenticity of, of Habakkuk's even journal, Lord, if you will, that we get to read today. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Father, by your word. And uh, and as you're there, seated in your seat, I just want to encourage you to have a little conversation with God. Maybe somebody said, Pastor, I had a conversation with God. I'm tired of talking to God, and and I've been asking why for 30, 40 years. He hasn't answered me. Well, let me lovingly say, have another conversation with God. And for all of us, just in the quietness of your heart, maybe say something like this. Lord, speak to me today. Just there in the quietness of your heart. Lord, speak to me today. And say something like this. Lord, give me ears to hear you. Or give me ears to hear you. And help me to obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of today's message is The Mess in the Middle. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of something. And um, and it's just a mess, right? And um, and when you're in the middle of it, You can't really see behind you. You can't see in front of you. Or if you do see in front of you and somebody like gives you little cliches, you know how people love to give you little cliches. And and let's be real. Sometimes Christians, we're guilty of this, right? We're kind of like Job's friends, right? And, And if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, Job's friends did not do him well when he was suffering, okay? And they just gave him little cliche answers that you could get printed on a mug and, um, and, uh. When we need bedrock truth, we need solid truth. Some of you are like, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? And some of our natural reaction is, yeah, I can see the light. It's probably a train coming to hit me. I see the light, all right. <clears throat> and, um, and so Habakkuk's in the middle of a mess, and so I don't I don't know how much you you know about him, but when you're in the middle of something, it's it's difficult to see. And so his name, though we don't we don't know a whole lot. If you're looking uh, just at, at verse one, all, all it says is Habakkuk, right? The oracle, and oracle is another word. Same word that was used in Nahum is like a burden and um that Habakkuk the prophet saw he he has this vision he has this conversation with God and um and and so but we don't know where he's from we don't know anything about his family history we don't know what he did and uh, and prophets are kind of these guys that that um that come out of the woods if you will kind of the wild guys they're not the company man you know they're not with khakis and their shirt tucked in and and everything right these are wild men right they're 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 like John the Baptist type like they're wearing you know, camel's hair and, and eating honey and locusts, right? They're, they're riding a Harley and coming in from out of town and giving the message to the people, right? They're, they're not just the, the company man. This is the, the wild man, if you will. But this is an, uh, an authentic wild man. Um, the year is about 612 B.C., and so he's a little bit after Nahum, who we just studied the, the last week. And his name in Hebrew actually means to embrace or to wrestle. And that's going to be an important theme as we, as we see this. We're going to see him embracing or even wrestling with God. And so embrace or wrestle. The, the situation uh, that he's in, he's in, like I said, the middle of a mess. And what I love about it is that it doesn't get resolved. Now, you might be thinking, why do you love that? Because you know what? Sometimes I'm in a situation that doesn't get... We don't live in a sitcom world. I know we watch sitcoms, but you know how sitcoms are? Right. There's an introduction. There's the introduction of the characters. Then there's drama. There's a problem. And in 30 minutes, commercials included, they're resolved. Everybody's good. And, and all the relationships are back to normal. And everybody's walking hand to hand off in the, sunshine, uh, in the sunshine. Right. And everything gets resolved. But how many of you know, in real life, the situation you're in doesn't get resolved in 30 minutes or an hour or a day or a week or a month or a year Many of you have suffered under the weight of a mess for years. And you could probably get up here and share your testimony about what you've been through. And, and in the book of Habakkuk, his situation doesn't get resolved even in three chapters. We see, though, Habakkuk resolving, though, to trust God in the middle of it. In fact, the, the, the key verse that kind of navigates us, we'll look at this next week, is chapter 2, where he says, The righteous, or the just will live by faith. You've maybe heard that before. It's quoted in the New Testament a number of times. And um, and so, but Micah, not Mike, excuse me. Habakkuk wrestles with God. He goes through these questions. He embraces God. He's going through these questions. Why well, God, I don't understand why you're doing this. Why are you letting this happen? Why would you do it that way? And and then finally, after wrestling with God, he picks up his guitar in chapter three and just says, all right, I surrender. I'm going to worship, right? And he just he just gives God the sacrifice of praise. And he says, I'm going as, as perhaps you may be familiar with the, the song or the phrase, I'm going to praise you in the storm, in the midst, like we saw just a few moments ago, right? He is Lord over all, in the storm, in the flood, <laughs> in the, the rain that is not going away, it seems like ever. <clears throat> the mess in the middle. And so what do we do when we're in the mess? And then we're going to talk about that. Let me just give you some historical sort of background so I can paint the picture of where he is, the middle of his mess. First of all, and you don't have to write this part down, but I'm just going to paint the picture for you. He's, he's in the middle of a mess kind of internally, and his nation is in a mess. And, um, and so look with me at verses, uh, well, just look at verse 2 with me. He says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? Will you not hear? I cry to you, violence, and, and you will not save. He's saying, how long, how how long are you going to let this stuff go on? And and do you not hear me? Have you ever wondered if your prayers bounced off the ceiling before, right? You've had those dark nights where you've been praying and and you didn't get an answer. And then look at verse three. Verse three, he says, why do you make me see iniquity or sin or wrongdoing? Then he says, why? Notice the question again. Why do you idly look at wrong? destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. This is a bad time for the people of God. This is the nation of Judah. And just to bring you up to speed, there were two kingdoms, the kingdom of of the North Israel. They, They got attacked a number of years ago, and we talked a little bit about that, and they were scattered off by the Assyrians, by the people of Nineveh, right? But then there were some there were some good times. There were some good kings, and and Josiah, who I told you the other week, he was eight years old when he became king. How, how would that be, feel? Kind of, hey, you're eight years old. I got an eight-year-old. I'll put you in charge of the whole nation. Somebody like, I don't know. I kind of wonder if people in charge of our country and our government are about the maturity of an eight-year-old, you know? It's like, I don't know. And uh, and so, but listen, stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Listen, Josiah loved God, and and he and he brought revival to their nation. They tore down their the places of idol worship. They found the you know the the, the book of the law, and the people began to read it, and they repented, and and God blessed. And that was kind of where we had Nahum at, right? Um, which was last week, and then we saw that because of their turn, the, the evil, wicked empire of Assyria and the city of Nineveh was bringing was coming down. And it was like, yes, God is bringing evil to its end, and we're going to live free, and things are going to go well. And then, and then, you know what happens after some good times? We tend to forget God's goodness, right? We tend to forget God's message, and we kind of go back to our our own little ways. And so I think I got a picture, Regina. Uh, what's, what's the picture I got there? You You can't see this, okay? You, you, I know you can't, but what I want you to see is the red, because this is where we are historically, right, in, in, in about 612 BC, and the red are the prophets. Just to give you an idea, when God sends a prophet to a nation, it's like, watch out. Remember, the, like, they're like the wild man coming out of the woods saying, look out, change your ways. When God sends Habakkuk, Obadiah, Jeremiah, uh, Daniel's in there, Ezekiel, Joel, and Zephaniah, all these guys right here, like... When four or five prophets get out of a car, you need to be like, oh, snap, we have really messed up, right? We had better repent when they all get out, right, and start invading the land and telling us all to repent. And so, uh, you know, may not be able to see, but the last good king was Josiah. He's got a little thumbs up there right around Nahum. Then we've had Jehoazaz, jehoiakim, and, and we're kind of in that situation there right now with some bad kings and, and look back at the text with me. Look back at verse three. He says, "Why do you why do you make me look at iniquity? My my, my national leaders are doing wrong. Okay, the, the people who are leading us uh, there, there's violence. There's and then notice uh, what it says uh, there's strife and contention. Is that not like how it is today? Strife and contention. It seems like nobody can get along today, right? I was driving down the street the other day and I saw this guy with like a big painted bed sheet or something like that and it said it's okay to be white and um and now that seems crazy right but the reality is we're in a situation where nobody feels like it's okay to be anything right because this man obviously feels like he's being persecuted as a white person black lives matter you know came because people were saying we don't feel like our lives matter and and then as soon as you like get on one side or another it's all like oh oh you must be in that group. Oh, so if you say something about abortion, oh, you must hate women. You say something uh, about homosexuality, oh, you you must hate gay people. You say something about Colin Kaepernick, oh, you must hate America. You must hate uh, the flag. You wear a Making America Great Again hat, oh, you must be racist. You must be uh, a neo-Nazi. It's like nobody's safe no matter what. There's a strife and contention everywhere. It's very much like it is today. And Habakkuk is... In the middle of a mess. And he's like, what do I do, God? Where are you? God, are you not going to help us? And it's like nobody is saved. There's strife and contention. Look at the rest of the verse. Destruction and and violence. Look at verse 4. Look what he says in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. In other words, people are getting away with wickedness. And then it says this, the wicked surround the righteous. And justice goes forth perverted. They're perverting justice. Bad people are getting away with doing wicked things because they're in power. And and many people think might makes right. In other words, if I've got the power to do it, I'm right. I'm in control. And, And this is a difficult situation. And he's asking God in the middle of this, God, when? God, why? How long? is this going to last? Right. Have you ever asked that question before? God, how long? God, we want a baby so bad. Why can't we get pregnant? God, I'm applying for jobs everywhere. God, how long before I get a job? God, my finances are struggling. God, I've had this disease for so long and no doctor can figure this thing out. And I'm struggling. God, our relationship has been torn apart and is difficult. God, how long? How long, God? And I just love the authenticity of Habakkuk to say, God, how long? And so he's got internal, national. Notice there's also some global mess going on right here. Uh, Last week we saw in Nahum that Assyria, the most powerful empire in the world, is gone. Nineveh fell. But do you know who they fell to? They fell to the next empire called the Babylonians, or here they're called the Chaldeans. It's the same group of people. And so God is going to give Habakkuk an answer, and it's not going to be an answer that that Habakkuk likes, right? How many of you have have gotten an answer from God, and you're like, "Mm, nope, nope, please, uh, magic eight ball. I want something different, okay? I I, I don't want this. And many times we ask, God, why will not you just tell me your future? And God's like, I'm not going to tell you your future because you're going to freak out. Okay. And I told you, you don't want to know this information. What I want you to do is I just want you to trust me. I'm driving the car and I know where I'm going. Right. I remember one time I was in Ireland. My family is from Ireland. Um, my grandfather, uh, I won't tell you that he was born actually between England and Ireland. He wouldn't you know, say that um, because you know being part English is like bad news. Like, with, Full Irish, right? Uh, but we're Irish, and I went over the one time to see some family, and I were driving. It's like weather like this. It's raining frequently. It's foggy. You can't see, and we're on a mountain, folks, in a one-lane mountain, right? And I'm I'm driving, and I'm on the other side, you know. So I'm in the American driver's seat, and I'm sitting next to this Irish guy who's driving the the taxi, and he's just flying around this mountain. And I'm just looking like, Lord, one wrong move, and we are toast, right? And it's a one-lane road, and I'm thinking like. What if somebody's coming the other direction, just coming around the curve, you know? And uh, and he's like, oh, we just beep every time we go around the curve. So he's just like, beep, 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 beep. And I'm like, and if you hear a beep back, how is that going to help? Like, you know, but you know what I had to do? I had to trust that the driver knew what he was doing. And I'm going to be real with you. I didn't trust the man. Okay. And so it was not a fun experience. And what God is saying to us is I'm driving. I'm driving. I am good. You matter. And, and listen to me now, if you don't get anything else than this, you matter to the heart of God. That verse that Scott read earlier where it said this, he who did not spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son for you and for me, how will he not also graciously give us all things? God, you matter to the heart of God. And when he's taking you through something, you can trust him to do it. And so he's in a global mess. Look at Look at the answer God gives them, and you can see the global problem that he has here. Verse 5, this is the Lord's answer. He's saying, why why is my nation so wicked? Why am I seeing people in my neighborhood, I mean, on drugs and and fighting and striving? People arguing in my cul-de-sac. Neighbors can't get along with neighbors. I mean, people in our cities, government officials. Like, why am I seeing all this? And God gives them an answer. Or gives them a response, not the answer he wants. Verse 5, he says this, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded. And I bet Habakkuk is like, okay, this is going to be good, God. Tell me what we got. I'm going to be astounded. And he goes, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you, right? And again, he's like, yeah, because this is not the plan that Habakkuk or the people would have chosen, but God knows best. Look what God says. For behold, verse 6, right? Behold, behold, here's what I'm going to do for you, right? I'm going to get rid of the strife and contention in your nation. For behold, behold. I am bringing up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians that listen, listen to the description of this nation, that bitter and hasty nation, because there's nothing worse than a violent nation than a nation that is bitter. And then hasty, like just quick, like off with your head. I don't like you just quick. Right? No, notice what it says here who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not thrown. It's, it's like something out of Lord of the Rings, like just like, a bunch of bearded dudes with bad attitudes, right? And a bunch of orgs just like marching through the breadth of the earth. They are dreaded and fearsome. Oh, thank you, God. You're you're raising these people up for me, for us. They're dreaded and they're fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. In other words, they're, they're a law unto themselves. They don't obey anybody else's laws. And uh, And in case you thought about getting away, in case you thought you could outrun them, verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves, right? Wolves that are hungry at night, right? And they're just ready to pounce. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come not to give you a pat on the back, not to give you a warm neighborly hug. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings. At kings they scoff. They laugh at kings. And that's what the next word. They laugh at fortresses. At rulers, they laugh. You know, you don't typically laugh at a king, right? Why? A king has an army. A king has a castle, the most heavily uh heavily guarded place. Usually it's up higher in a good position for battles, right? And these guys phew, they laugh. That's your king? Okay. That's your army? Okay. They'll be like captives, like sand in our hands. And this is the response they're getting here. Then he says this, for they pile up the earth and take it. They sweep by like wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Whose own might is their God. They have no other God. And so this is God's response. I'm going to raise up a wicked nation against you. Really, God? That's how you're going to get rid of evil? Yes, that's how I'm going to get rid of evil. Because you don't realize the depth of the evil that's going on inside of you. Because typically what we tend to think is, right, good guys versus bad guys. And we tend to think, oh, we're the good guys, right? We tend to think that we're, oh, hey, we as Americans, we're we're the good guys. You know, we as Christians, we're always the good guys. In fact, if you look over at uh, verse 13, if you just flip to verse, you don't have to flip. It's probably on the same page, a small book. Um. Verse 13, notice what he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent? Watch this, when the wicked swallows up the man who is more righteous than he. In other words, he's saying, this wicked nation is going to swallow us up. We're more righteous. And God is saying, you're not as righteous as you think. You're not as righteous as you think. We tend to think in those kind of terms like that, the Bible declares that none is righteous. No one is righteous before a holy and perfect God. In fact, Ezekiel, who is prophesying around a similar time, uh, uh, we're going to put this verse on the screen, Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 7, says, I just read this the other day, he says this, Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You people have behaved worse than your neighbors and have refused to obey my decrees and regulations. You have not even lived up to the standards of the nations around you. This is what God said to, to the believers, folks, to the people who thought they were good guys. They thought they were righteous in their own eyes. And God says, you're not as righteous as you think. And I am going to purify you. I'm going to sanctify you. And So that's what God is doing. So we see that, that he's in the middle of a mess. And he's asking God, why are you allowing this? Why is this going on? And God is doing a work that he could not believe. And so a couple of things, you can write these down. Here are kind of our takeaways for today. When you're in the middle, point number one, you can write this down, is this embrace God. Don't run away from Him. Embrace God. Don't, don't run away from Him. This is kind of the typical response that we struggle with, right? We typically, when we go through a hard time, we want to run away from God. But be like Habakkuk. Be like Habi. In fact, reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell, tell them to say, be like Habi. You don't have to say be happy, right? You don't have to say, don't worry, be happy. You don't have to do that. But you do need to embrace God. And 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 how many of you, you have said this, you've had a friend say this, you've had a family member say this, God allowed this to happen. I don't believe in God anymore. Why would he do this? He's either not powerful like he says he is, Or he must be bad because he's powerful enough to fix my situation and he hasn't. And we wrestle with those. But the reality is God is doing something you won't be able to believe. And you matter to his heart. And if you'll trust him, you'll see what he's up to. Embrace God. Don't run away from him. That's that's what Habakkuk's name means. It means to embrace. But look back with me at verse 1. Notice what he's saying here. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And then verse 2, what does he do? Oh Lord. Notice he takes his problems and his questions to who? To God, right? He takes them to God. And, and he says, God, you've got to help me with this. He doesn't run away from God, but the temptation is to isolate ourselves. The temptation is to stop coming to church. The temptation is to stop reading the Bible and to say, God, I'm just running away from you. And then when we've done that, we've played into the devil's hands, right? Instead of embracing God and saying, God, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I want you to know, and you, get, you wrestle with God, there's a picture I'm, uh, I, w- I want to show you here. Um, it's called the Dip, and uh, this comes from a guy named Seth Godin. It's like business stuff, but but I I, I find it very helpful for spiritual uh, issues. It's it's like there's a starting point uh, that that is hard, a little bit hard, and then you get over it, and then you experience this high, right? Like when you're a new believer and everything is going great. Right, and you feel forgiven, and you're like, "Yes, I'm forgiven of all my sins. God is good." And then God is answering your prayer. Like you pray for something, and 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 God answers that, and then and just awesome things are happening everywhere you go. People are like, "Man, I can see a change in you, man. You're 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 becoming different." And 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 you get in the car, and you had a tough day, and you turn on the radio, and the, and it's a song you needed to hear, right? And you go to church and it's like, man, that message was for me. And God is speaking to me. And God is real. And then you pray for something, and and then you get an answer to that prayer, and you're like, oh man, all this stuff works. God is real. God is true. And and man, things are just going awesome, right? You you're driving to the mall or to the grocery store, and and it boom right there, just light just shines down, and you got the front parking spot, and you're like, oh, and you're like i know god is true i made such a good decision to become a christian to become a christ follower and you're like yes and that goes on for like a year you know whatever i don't know how long it lasts and then you start to go downhill right and you get into what we call the dip right and in the dip in the middle all of a sudden prayers aren't getting answered in fact you pray for something and the opposite happens you're like lord give me patience and then you get in a car accident you know, or you you face traffic when you're already behind for a meeting, and your kid doesn't have their shoes tied, and uh, and you're yelling at them, why don't you have your shoes on? And all this sort of stuff starts to happen, and and the opposite starts to happen. All of a sudden, you go to church, and and the people that were there, and they love you all sorts of stuff. Now all of a sudden, you're starting to realize the purple, the, the purple, yeah, the purple people at church too. Um, they're they're not as perfect as you once thought they were, and they're starting to realize you're not as perfect as you, you they once thought you were, and you realize well, we all got warts. And um, uh, and um, and then all of a sudden the message is not speaking to you, right? And then you get in the car and you're like, I've had a hard day, man. I need God, I just need a good song, right? God, give me the Caleb encouraging word of the day. And and then you turn on the car and you hear right, and Caleb's off the air, right? Your radio does not even work, right? And and you pressing the buttons and you're just like, God, you must not be real, right? And we get into the dip. What God wants to do is take us through that dip. In fact, what Seth Godin would say, don't quit in the dip, because what God is doing is taking you through something deeper so that your faith doesn't rest on the little things, but your faith rests on the character and the faithfulness of God and that you can trust him in the hard times. And then you know what happens? Is you start to raise to a whole different level spiritually. And so reach over, touch your neighbor, and tell them, Don't quit on the dip. Don't quit in the dip. Keep keep pushing through. Don't tell your neighbor they're a dip, okay? Don't tell your neighbor that. Don't tell your neighbor they're a dip, right? We we need his presence. We need his presence. What we need is to exercise faith. God, I know you're still working. And, And faith is this. Faith is trusting in God and what God wants. Faith is trusting and accepting what God is doing. Faith is trusting that Irish taxi driver, okay, that he knows what he's doing. That's what faith is. Faith is not trying to get God to do things our way. Faith is not trying to get God to do what I want him to do and what you want him to do. Amen. There is a false belief that kind of is like God is like a piñata and faith is like my stick. And if I got enough faith, I can just beat God into getting the prize that I want out of him. Right? And if I got enough faith, I can be healed. If I got enough faith, I can get the car I want. I can get the the person of my dreams and all this other stuff. I can get what I want. You know, if that's true, that makes you God. And God should bow down and worship you. If you can get him to do what you want him to do, you are indeed God. And I don't think any of us really want to be in that position. Faith is not a stick we use to beat the pinata to get what we want. Faith is trusting that God knows what's best, even when we don't understand it. So, there's a big difference, right, between being frustrated with God and bringing our frustrations to God. Some of us say, I'm so frustrated with God. Embrace them. Embrace them and wrestle with them. And bring your frustrations to them. Number two, you can write this down bring your questions, not your accusations. When you're in the middle, bring your questions, not your accusations. Bring your questions, not your accusations. You know what? Sometimes we accuse God of doing things. God, you, you are wrong. You are doing this. You and 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 we bring these accusations. How many of you like it when someone accuses you without asking you questions? Right? We don't really like that, right? They just come all up in your face. You didn't take out the trash. You didn't fill out the right forms at work. You didn't, right? They just accuse you, right? They didn't ask you. They didn't bother ask you any questions about what happened, right? They just accused you. Don't do the same thing to God. Don't sit in the judgment seat of God. Bring your questions to him. And listen, he's big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle your frustration, your tears, your whys and how longs. Habakkuk is teaching us we need to bring those to God. Most of the times we just hide them inside and we don't actually voice them to God. But let me encourage you, write them down. Have a conversation with God. I remember sitting right here, there was a young man whose mom had passed away, one of our teenagers. And, and man, we came in here and we prayed, and he hit the, the, the stage, and he punched it and kicked it because he was so distraught that his mom and dad, it broke his heart. But he was bringing his questions, his frustrations. He was embracing God in the middle of it. And he was saying, God, I still don't understand this. God, Why? But he brought it to the Lord, and he brought his questions there. Look at Look at what... <clears throat> um, Habakkuk does in verses 12 through 13. Notice how he wrestles with God. He says this in verse 12, are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy one. In other words, I'm, de- I know you're righteous. I know you're good. I know you're eternal. I know you see beginning from end. Are you not from everlasting? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, rock, you have established them for reproof. So he's like, okay, I think I see what you're doing here. You're you're helping us. But then he says this, verse 13, you who are pure purer eyes than to see evil cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than? He notices a question. He's like, God, why are you not affixing this? Why are you not allowing? Why are you allowing these evil people to come in on us? I don't get this. I don't understand this but he brings his questions to god not accusing god as if we know better he says i know you're eternal i know you're good i know you can see the whole picture but i can't why help me understand this and god can handle that thirdly remember the difference between hurt and harm remember the difference between hurt and harm when you're in the middle remember the difference between hurt and harm and this is a very difficult thing for us as americans right we have grown so comfortable. We, we, we believe we have uh, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And, and we've, we've changed that word happiness there uh, to, to mean comfort. And I should never experience any little disruption to my schedule, to my couch, to my TV watching. And, and if, I, if I experience disruption to my TV watching, I can TiVo it and record it and watch it. when I, like. I just get everything my way all the time. And we forget that 90% of the world lives underneath tyranny and difficult times. And and we've gotten so comfortable, we don't understand that people hurt all over the world every day, and hurt is a part of this world. So let me, we we understand this in different times, but all of a sudden we feel like God has hurt us, we're just like, God, how dare you hurt me? What are you doing? But let me ask you this. We experience this in other realms, right? How many of you, right, hands raised, we'll we'll be Pentecostal for a second. How many of you have ever been to a doctor? Okay? Right? Good. Doctors cause hurt in order to prevent greater harm. Amen? Are you, are you tracking with me? Doctors cause hurt in order to prevent greater harm. Your, your appendix burst and is going to kill you. The doctor, what does he have to do? He doesn't pat you on the back and say, you'll be fine. He takes a sharp instrument and he cuts into your flesh. And he cuts it tissue and muscles and he splits your body apart. Now they can scope it, okay? All right, now they can scope it. But they still cut into your flesh. And he pulls out what is about to kill you. The oncologist fills your body with poison. And hurts you in order to prevent a greater harm. Because if he doesn't cut the cancer out, it will cause you greater harm. And God is saying this to the people of of Judah and saying this to Habakkuk. I need to get my scalpel out. And I'm using the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, as a scalpel to cut out the root of wickedness and rebellion that's in you. Because if you don't get this cut out, it will cause you eternal harm. Physical therapists. Physical therapists are wonderful, wonderful people, right? Physical therapists hurt people, though, right? You're recovering after a surgery, and they're like, get up and walk. They're they're like stretching you out there, and you're like, "Ah, why are you torturing me? This has to be illegal. Five more. Five more? Have you lost your mind? Do you know what it's like to have this surgery, right? But you know what? They're hurting you in order to prevent future and greater harm. Because if you don't get that joint working back, you're not going to be moving like you need to, and that that thing's not going to heal like it needs to. Dentists hurt you in order to prevent future harm, right? And listen, I've confessed to you about my fear of dentists plenty of times. But they're getting out the decay that is going to spread and it's going to get to the root and then spread like our dear sister, Dusty Carney. And um, I mean, they, they are, listen, they are hurting you in order to present, prevent a greater harm. There is a greater future harm that comes to all people because of their sin. They will be separated from God in a place called hell for all of eternity. And God takes his scalpel to cut out the sin and the rebellion in all of our lives, and he does it in my life, and he'll do it in your life. Not because he doesn't love us, because he does love us. He's scalping out that stuff to prevent a greater eternal harm. And so when you're in the middle, remember the interesting hurt and harm. Okay, bring your questions, not your accusations. And then fourthly, learn to lament. Learn to lament. This is really what goes on in chapter three, and we're not going to read all of chapter three, but we don't even know what the word lament means, right? But but lamenting is being able to grieve in a way that processes our emotions, that, that admits the hurt, that admits the pain and says, God, I don't like this. God, this hurts me. God, why? And you're able to get that stuff out instead of holding it in. Instead of, of pretending like you're a Christian and everything is fine and everything is great. And oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is great. And, and, uh, and, and there are no problems and no troubles in my life. But you learn to lament. You learn to admit the pain and the difficulty. And this is what Habakkuk does in chapter 3. And he just goes on through that whole chapter there. And I encourage you to read it this week. But let me tell you what lamenting does. Lamenting prevents depression and it and it and it prevents anger because when we don't deal when we don't admit the stuff that is going on inside we don't admit our heartache and our god i don't get it and i'm angry and i'm frustrated and all that sort of stuff man depression starts to set in in us right because we're holding on to this stuff or for most men anger starts to set in you want you want to know why most men are angry right if you grew up with a dad who you're like dad are you angry no i'm not angry right and dad kind of had like two two uh two modes it was like sleep and anger, right? Maybe some of you grew up with a dad like that, right? Just he he was sleeping, and it was like cool. And then he was up; it was angry. He was like, "Stay away, walk on eggshells, move around, that sort of stuff." The reason why most men are angry is because we don't know how to identify our feelings, and we don't get "quote unquote" depressed. We are depressed; it's just coming out as extreme anger. And and if you if they if we as men and I struggle with this as well. And listen, uh, God is working on me and helping me identify all my little issues. And uh, you can praise God for that. And um, but. But, man, it comes out as anger and frustration when you when you ask a man if you were able to identify these things, he would describe the symptoms of of depression. But it comes out as anger because we're not sure how to deal with the hurt because, man, we, we don't admit our hurt. I'm not hurt. What's wrong with you? I'm a man. I don't get hurt. Shoot, I'm tough as nails. That's right. Thank you. And women, some women do that. Appreciate that, sister. But when we learn to lament and we learn to say, God. This has hurt me, God. I am so broken over this, God. I'm so grieved over this, and I don't. Understand. I'm going to trust you, but God, I'm going to pour out my soul to you. There was a lady named Vanitha, uh Risner. She grew up. She was. Her family was from uh, uh, the Middle East, from India. She moved to England, and um, and uh, and growing up, obviously being Middle Eastern uh, Indian descent, she got made fun of just for being from that country. She's in England. She also contracted polio when she was two, and so she had. 20 something surgeries between the ages of two and four, and she, you know, was in casts and, and leg uh, restraints and all that sort of stuff. And of course, growing up, she got made fun of all the time. One kid just pushed her over one time, she was hobbling down at school, and a kid just pushed her, and she can't even get up herself because of uh, the polio that she had gotten. And so, man, she struggled with that, and she wrestled with that, and she had bitterness and anger and and she grew up in a christian home and her parents taught her about the lord jesus but she said it wasn't for me i didn't, I didn't really i couldn't believe that god would allow me to go through this sort of pain and this sort of agony and be real but then she said when i was 16 i met jesus and i actually started to read the bible for myself and i began to meet god and I, and I read these verses how god you know hung out with the sick and the broken how god identified with us and how god drew near to the broken heart and then she said but i met jesus and i gave him my life and she said, I struggled from there and all that sort of stuff. But God enabled me to get married, to go to college and graduate school and get a job and had two beautiful daughters. And then the dip came. She had a beautiful little son, just, um, you know, uh, excited, but he had had some issues. And so they had a doctor and, and, and uh, they, you know, they were going back and forth trying to figure out some of the issues he was having. He was something like 16 months old and um, and the doctor was out of town and he had had a flare up and uh, and she took him back. And because the regular doctor wasn't there, there was a... A new doctor, he didn't know the situation. He gave them terrible advice, and uh, she took her son home, and he died. Her little baby died. She had to bury her her little son. And some of you have buried children. You know what that's like. And then after that, her husband left her. And then after that, she got a re-inoculate. I don't know. She got a re-diagnosis of polio. The polio came back and crippled her body. Here she is with two adolescent teenage girls. And saying, God, why did all of this happen? Are you real? Are you true? But God navigated her through that. And she brought her tears. She brought her lament to God. She brought her pain and her anger and her rage and her questions. She brought all that to the foot of the cross. She writes this. There's a great Uh, Video, we'll we'll probably put on our social media. So if you're not uh, following us, we'll probably put that up there this week and watch her her nine minute video about uh, that. But she says this She says, When pain almost strangles us and darkness is our closest friend, what should we do? For years, I thought the best response was cheerful acceptance. Since God uses everything for our good and for His glory, I felt the most God honoring attitude was to appear joyful. All the time, even when I was confused and angry, even when my heart was breaking, and especially when I was around people who didn't know Christ. But since then, I have learned the beauty of lament in my suffering. Lament highlights, watch this, lament highlights the gospel more than stoicism, more than put your chin up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, more than stoicism ever could. Hearing our authentic, God honoring lament can draw others to God in unexpected ways. And then she proceeds to tell the story of Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi, and if you remember, we, we, we looked at her during, during the Advent season. She had lost her son, lost her husband, and now she had nothing. And as you read that book there and see her lamenting, you see the unbelieving Ruth being drawn to God. Because she says, you have a God that you can bring your problems to? You, you have a God who you can take your pain to? I want to know this God, the God that Habakkuk wrestled with, the God that Habakkuk embraced. His name is Jesus. And he's not a God who sits high up on his mountain and watches all of us suffer on earth. You know what he did? Jesus left the throne of heaven and he came to live here and faced what you and I face. And Jesus lamented on this earth. He faced all the same struggles we face. And he lamented when his friend Lazarus died, And he wept. And and the Bible says he released an inner groan that you can't even really describe, that groan that you have felt when you have wept over terrible loss. The Bible says that Jesus lamented over the city that he loved, Jerusalem. He he lamented over the destruction that was going on in his nation and his neighborhood. And he he wept over the city of Jerusalem. He said, oh, I wish that someone would gather you like, like a hen gathers chicks under her wings. He lamented over that. Jesus lamented in fact he lamented so much one time he sweat drops of blood as he was in the garden and he was asking God God can you take this cup from me he lamented so much he sweat drops of blood he knows what you're going through he said God would you take this cup from me but do you know what he said after that he said nevertheless thy will be done thy not my will Thy, not my will be done. Jesus entered into our pain, and he laments along with us. You don't have a God who is far removed. You have a God who is near. And then on the cross, Jesus lamented. And on the cross, he said, God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself felt forsaken, just like you and I have felt forsaken by God. And you can bring that to him. He's a high priest, according to the Bible, who, who, who it says in the book of Hebrews, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is able. And he goes, I know what that feels like. When, when you say, God, I don't get this guy. And Jesus goes, I know exactly what that feels like. I've been there. I'm with you. I'm with you. I haven't left you to struggle this alone. And so you know what? You can trust him. He invites you to walk with him. He invites you, if you don't know Christ personally, through a relationship with you, he invites you into a relationship with himself. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christian doesn't mean a perfect person. It means somebody who is following the Lord Jesus, who has surrendered their life and is walking with him. It doesn't mean a person free from pain, free from trouble, but it means a person who has God himself with them in all of their troubles. In the middle of your mess, embrace God. Amen? We're going to have a time of response. This will be time for us, maybe to lament, maybe to praise God in the middle of it, maybe to bring your questions. We'll be available here at the front if you have a prayer need and, and you just want to share a burden with us. Maybe you are just going to share in your seat. Or maybe you are going to put on a connection card. I don't know how you're going to respond, but you respond to God, however he's calling you to himself. And so let's pray together, and then we'll respond. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're a God who is near us. Thank you that you're a God we can embrace and even wrestle with. Lord, thank you for the example of Habakkuk, who was a righteous man, who was a prophet, a man of God. And he doubted and he had questions and he said, God, why? And he said, God, when? How long? God, I just thank you for the example of that today. So Lord, it's our prayer for all of us together that we would trust you more, God, that we'd embrace you instead of running away from you because, God, running away from you is going to compound the problems. Thank you that you receive us. You receive our questions. You don't reject our questions. You receive our hurt. You receive our anger. You receive our depression. You're a God who is near. And I pray for folks here, God, all of us together, myself included, we'd be brought near to you today and this week. Father, guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.